Did God just make me to punish me? And why did he create me in the first place? To what end? Huge, massive questions like these arrive every day in the inbox from you, our friends who are listening, uh, like this email from a podcast listener in New York City. Here's his email. It's a very heavy one. I want to prepare you for that. It's a, it's a heavy question. He writes this, Dear Pastor John, why did God create us? I grew up in the Bible Belt. In my 20s, I moved to New York City. I've been here for over a decade, and my beliefs have been challenged here. The past couple of years, life has been hard, not only for me, but for some of my closest friends. Only a few times in my life have I been mad at God. This past month, I was. I think I know why he created us, to serve and worship him and to love others. In New York City, I've met all sorts of people who reject God. I've heard things such as, God enjoys seeing others suffer. God isn't real because people suffer. God doesn't answer prayers. God doesn't talk to us. Look at the Bible. He allowed suffering, killing, polygamy. He is selfish and wants you all to himself. On and on it goes. In the past, I felt that even though I didn't understand why God allowed things, I still had faith to believe in him and to try to defend him. So why did he create us? And why should I marvel at him coming to save me? He should have, shouldn't he? He created me. Or if he wasn't going to save me, why did he create me at all? I have repented of my thoughts, and I do believe in him, but my faith remains shaken by these questions. Can you help me, Pastor John? Well, I hope so. Sometimes it helps just to hear God respond to criticisms of God. And that's what we're going to do in just a minute. Uh, This, of course, is one of the biggest questions that can possibly be asked. Why are we? created? Why did he make the universe? Why did God do this? Why is there humankind? So have mercy on me <laughs> as I dare, dare in 10 minutes to to answer questions that have caused thousands of books to be written. Yeah. Um, perhaps the clearest answer to why we were created, why this friend in New York was created, is Isaiah 43, 7. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. I think that's probably the simplest, straightforward sentence in the Bible in answer to the question, uh, Isaiah 43, 7. Then he clarifies a few verses later, verse 20. The people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. And here's the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2.9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We exist to reflect, to proclaim, to display the excellencies of our redeeming creator, God. So ultimately, God brought the universe into being and human beings into being so that God's glory, his greatness, beauty, and worth, that's my effort to fill out that term glory a little bit, his greatness, his beauty, his worth, so that his glory might be on display in the objective realities of his work, like creation, and especially as that glory is magnified 
in the enjoyment that his people have in knowing him and reflecting him and praising him. That's my long answer to the question, why are we made? What seems to stand in the way of our friend, let's call him our New York friend, (laughs) hard place, hard place. Um, there, There are no easy places to stand for all that God tells us, but he's in a hard place. What seems to stand in the way for him affirming this is the sort of things that people have said to him about God and his world and his word. He mentions five things. So I'm going to give a brief biblical response to each one. That's what I meant a minute ago when I said sometimes it helps just to hear God answer criticisms about God. So I'm going to let God answer these five criticisms. Number one, God enjoys seeing others suffer. Two responses. First, no, he doesn't. Not the way the critic means it. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. As I live, declares the Lord, I do not have pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Or Lamentations 3.32, though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Second response to the statement, God enjoys seeing others suffer. When God finally judges the world with eternal punishment, When God finally judges the world, his judgment will be perfectly just, and he will not disapprove of his justice. So, whatever joy there is in his final act, it will be owing to not the sadism of a monster, but to the perfect justice of one who never wronged anyone and who gave his son to die for sinners. Second thing that they say about God, God isn't real because people suffer. Or look at the Bible. He allows suffering, killing, polygamy. Actually, he not only allowed it, he governs it. He's God. He is never cornered into doing or allowing anything that his wisdom and justice and mercy do not govern. Instead of saying uh, God isn't real because he allowed suffering and sin, we ought to say what Genesis fifty twenty says, as for you sinners, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I believe that is the banner over all sin in this world. God is God, not in spite of permitting sin, but because he constantly is turning sin for his wise and just and merciful purposes for those who trust him. Number three, they say, he hears in New York, people say, God doesn't answer prayers. Well, this is their word, against the word of Jesus, and you have to choose. Who are you going to believe? 
Because Jesus says in Matthew 7, Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? In other words, a child may not get exactly what he asks for, but he will get good things because he asks, because he prays. That's what Jesus says. And if, if a New Yorker says otherwise, you got to decide who to believe. Number four, God doesn't talk to us. Answer, yes, he does. He does. He communicates himself in nature and in Scripture with immeasurable fullness. And I'll say it again, immeasurable fullness, way beyond what we deserve or need. Um, Romans 1 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. That's his communication through nature. Here's 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you can read any of the thousand languages where the Bible is translated, you can hear the voice of God infallibly. Whether you will acknowledge that he is speaking is another matter, but he is speaking. And number five, they say, these New Yorkers say, he's selfish and wants you all to himself. And my answer, God's answer, no, on both counts. First, it is not selfish for God to want you for himself because he is the greatest being that exists, and to welcome you into his fellowship to enjoy him forever is not selfish. It is love. Yes. It is the apex of love. He, he himself is the greatest gift he can give to us, and he does not hold back. He paid the price of his son to make it possible for people to be with him. And secondly, he does not keep us for himself alone. In the world to come, we will be the most social of beings. We will give, he will give, Jesus will give, God will give us to each other for everlasting mutual love and admiration. The biblical picture of Jesus that the Bible gives us is of him holding a great banquet with all his followers seated at a table in a great company, enjoying the food and enjoying each other. And he comes and he serves us with joy and power forever. You can see that in Luke 12. So I return to the question with this biblical answer for why we were created Ultimately, God brought the universe into being and brought us humans into being 
so that God's glory might be on display in the objective realities of his work, and especially as that glory is magnified in the enjoyment that his people have in knowing him and reflecting him and praising him, especially for his grace. Amen. Yeah, it doesn't get much bigger than that. Thank you, Pastor John, and thank you for the raw questions. So many of you send honest questions like these, and we deeply appreciate it. And thank you for listening. To search our archives, read transcripts of episodes, or ask us a question of your own, go to our online home at desiringgod.org forward slash ask Pastor John. Well, God is loving, and God is patient, and God is kind, but is God also severe? Can we say that? That question about the severity of God is up next on the other side of the weekend. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We'll see you back here on Monday.